So as you guys are turning to the book of 2 John, I'm going to give you about another 10 minutes to find it. 2 John, I had someone tell me last week, I didn't even know Philemon existed. Um, we've been studying books of the Bible that we don't really hear a whole lot of sermons on. And so we're going to jump into 2 John, which um, here's a little help. It's right after 1 John. It's actually, if, if you get to 3 John, it's like right before that. Okay, so 2 John, I'm going to preach a message, if you're taking notes, called An Old Message for a New Day. An Old Message for a New Day. It's a constant in his life. It's one that he's gotten used to over 60 years. Now, people are gracious about it, but they often come up and interrupt him. Hey, sorry to bother you, but could you, could you tell me one more time the story about... Um, and he finds himself retelling a familiar story, whether it's in the marketplace or it's in the back of a church or it's in his courtyard on a Sabbath. He, he finds himself retelling a story that he's told over and over and over again. C could you tell us what it was like when, when you saw a dead man rise from the grave? Or what about the time that that naked crazy guy came down from the tombs just screaming and everybody was scared of him and then... He was suddenly changed. Well, what about that one time that Jesus' finger touched the oozing pus and the guy's whole body began to heal? Did, did the healing start right at the point that his finger touched and like spread outward? How, what was that like? Could you tell us the story again? Everybody wants the stories. It's been 60 years since the cross. It's been 60 years since the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and he knows that he's the last living person who saw them with his own eyes. Now, don't get me wrong. City after city after city has their own version of something that they saw, a feeding of the 5,000, a blind man by the gate who was made whole, a crippled man walking out in front of the crowd. But as far as the one who holds all the stories... He realizes it's him. And so he will sit in the back of a church in Ephesus and listen to another pastor talk about Christianity. And there's something that in his, his heart begins to burn. Everybody wants the stories. They think that if I just have more stories of Jesus, then I'm going to get to know Jesus better. And yet John knows it's not the stories that set you free. It's the truth. And he's tired of telling the stories. Now, don't get me wrong. They are etched into his memory. Every little detail is burned into the history in his brain. And these are the very things that he remembers. He walked through. He saw with his own eyes. And he saw people's lives changed. But, but he's tired of a crowd wanting new stories when it's not the stories that are going to set you free. And so he, he leaves the church. And he walks through one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire, Ephesus. And there's just something that is just staying in the front of his mind. It just comes crashing down on him. The politics of this place, well, chaos would be an understatement. The, the morality of our cities, what people call entertainment nowadays, John is thinking about the lifestyles, the choices, what's flaunted openly and being sold on the streets and his city 
The city that he lives in is known for its riots against Christianity. And by the time he makes it back to his house, he pulls out a paper, a single sheet of paper, and he puts pen to paper. Because he wants to write what he's rewritten over and over and over again. You see, there were 12. There were 12 that he slept with on the road every night. There were 12 that he would journey back and forth across the Sea of Galilee with. There were 12 that shared every one of these stories. And yet, one by one by one, the stories are coming in. The reports have arrived. Peter and Paul, both killed in Rome around 66 AD. Peter had his head cut off. Peter was crucified. I'm sorry, Paul had his head cut off. Peter was crucified. In fact, when Peter realized he was going to be crucified, he begged the executioners to crucify him upside down so that he would not be crucified in the same way that his Lord was crucified. And actually, in a joke, the executioner was like, okay, sure. Um, Andrew was crucified. Thomas died when being pierced through with the spears of four different soldiers. Philip, after winning the Roman proconsul's wife to the Lord in retaliation, that proconsul had him arrested and cruelly put to death. Bartholomew went to India with Thomas um, and Ethiopia and Southern Arabia. And there, um, there's various accounts of how he met his gruesome death. James, according to the Roman historian Josephus, uh, reported that he was stoned and clubbed to death. Simon the Zealot was killed in Persia, refusing to sacrifice to the sun god. And according to church tradition, Matthew went to Syria with Andrew and he was burned to death. So there's John. Just John. And he will write the last of the books in the New Testament. And yet he will write the same two things over and over again. Even though, if you remember, John ended his gospel account, the gospel according to John, saying there was not enough books or scrolls in the world to retell everything that Jesus did and said while he was here on earth. John, even though he has all the stories, will implore on us today two things. Two things he said over and over again. This is an old message for a new day. It's been 60 years since the cross, and John has already seen what Christianity has become and could become. And as the last of the apostles, he sits down and he pens these verses, these words, to a very specific group of people. So if you, if you are able to, I'd invite you to stand with me. We're going to go ahead and read, not the entire thing, but we're going to read the beginning of this, and then as we go along, I will... Um, unpack the rest of this letter together. But we're going to read the first few verses together. It says this, this letter is from John, the elder. I am writing to the chosen lady and to her children whom I love in the truth, as does everyone else who knows the truth, because the truth lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace, which come from God the Father, and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, will continue to be with us who live in truth and love. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that our hearts would not be 
distracted with the familiarity of your words today. I pray that our hearts would be soft to hear what you have to say to us, knowing we needed to hear this again. I pray, Lord, that this would be something we take very seriously and very personally as a word from you, our King. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Now, John is writing to a church community called what she calls the chosen lady. Now, there's reasons to believe this isn't just a single person. This is actually a community of believers. Um, one of the reasons why he doesn't specifically refer to them uh, is because of the heavy persecution. And uh, delivering a letter in the Roman mail system uh, would have been a direct threat to this church community if he named who they were. And so it, they are a chosen lady, he says. In other words, they are God's elect. They are a community of genuinely redeemed and saved Christians. In fact, he goes on to basically mention that if it were not for Jesus, they would have no relationship with each other. And he says, uh, I'm writing to the chosen lady and her children whom I love in the truth, as is everyone else who loves the truth, because the truth lives in us and will be with us forever. This is what he's referring to. He says, it's the truth that binds us together. It's the truth that lives in us. Now, if you'll remember, Jesus specifically names himself as the truth. John remembers this. He recorded it in John 14, 6. Jesus himself says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And Jesus is present here. He says, the truth lives in us and will be with us forever. This is the basis of his relationship with these Christians and the basis of the love that they are living with. But here's the danger. Here's the danger that there will be people who come into this community who are a direct threat to this community. Why? Because they deny Jesus. They deny the truth. John calls them deceivers. He calls them anti-Christs, anti-Messiah. And they're going to be looking for validation and support. And John is saying, we, we're not going to be the people who assist them in spreading this evil, who, who participate in the lies and the deception that they are walking around with. So, so these letters that we're reading here, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, in fact, they all kind of give a window into the tension and the conflict that, that John was helping disciple these church communities through. 1 John kind of gives an overview and uh, a lot of teaching on living in light, living in love, living in the truth. And then 2 and 3 John actually give us very specific examples. And so John's goal here today is to remind these Christians to stay true to what they believe and remain faithful. Remain faithful. He says, how happy I was to meet some of your children and find them living according to the truth, just as the Father commanded. Now, what do you mean by living according to the truth, John? He says, I'm writing to remind you, dear friends, that we should love one another. This is not a new commandment. This is not a new commandment, but one we've had from the beginning. Love means doing what God has commanded us. And what has he commanded us? To love one another, just as you've heard from the beginning. This is what John says. This is living according to the truth. When you live according to the truth, when you live in the truth, what I begin to realize is this. 
that there's actually a humongous blessing God has for his people who live according to the truth and for the surrounding community. Because God, I don't know if you realize this or not. I hope you do. God has specifically given you a gift. He's given you a spiritual gift, something that's more than your personality, something that would not be possible without his Holy Spirit living and working inside of you. God lives inside of you not only to glorify himself, but to bless the community of which you are part, to bless the local church. That is the reason for your spiritual gift, so that you can glorify God and also so that you can serve and bless those around you. And what I think, one of the things I've realized is this is one of the greatest joys of living with your spiritual gift, of relying on God to bless other people, is you begin to see the influence you have on others and how they're now walking closer to Jesus. Some of my heroes of the faith are those of you here who serve in kids' ministry and youth ministry and young adults' ministry. Now, I know there's a lot of ways to serve here. I just get to see up close and personal those specific things. And let me just tell you, the difference that you make is amazing. I'll say it this way. God has blessed us with kids. God has blessed us with youth. It's like my dad likes to say, God has blessed us with middle school boys. And I'll be honest, we need some people to help with middle school boys. Okay? And this is the thing, that God will use you to make a difference in the lives of other people. If you have not been using your spiritual gift to help other people walk closer to Jesus, y'all, I'm promising, you're missing out. You really are. This is one of the greater joys of following Jesus, is using your spiritual gift to see other people walking close to Jesus and living in the truth, which is to love one another. This is the command of God, to love one another. It seems so simplistic. It seems like the simple life. But this is so core. In fact, it's so core that one of our core values here at church is that love is our lifestyle. Right? We, we share with others what we've received from Jesus. Now, this is not a new thing. It's not something that you always have to figure out a new piece of knowledge to try to live up to. This is not a new thing. Um, but this is a life-changing truth that I think sometimes we get away from is that we're here for other people. We're here to love one another. We're not here to build our own platform. We're here to serve. We're here to love. We're here to put into action the generosity that God's already given to us. And John says, this is living according to the truth. So I hope you get this, that the truth is not just about what you know. I think there are some of us here, and I noticed I said some of us, not some of you. There's some of us here today that are very keen to figure out what's true, what's true. And you're like, truth people, as long as we get it right, as long as you agree with me, I'll treat you nice. As long as you agree with me, as long as we're on the same page, right? And I think for some of us, that's synonymous with agreeing with the truth, right? That's synonymous with, as long as you agree with me, then you agree with the truth, Okay, I, please hear me. I'm very guilty of this at times. I just ask my wife. And so we, some of us are truth people and we're just like, man, as long as you get the truth, 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 truth. But here is the truth that John is saying. That truth is not about what you know. It's about what you do with it. It's about how you live. Why? Because the truth is not something you know. The truth is somebody you know. And if the truth is living inside of you, he will reveal himself in how you love. 
Love means doing what God has commanded us. And what has he commanded? To love one another. You've heard this from the beginning. It's nothing new. But this is kind of the first point that John is getting at, is that God's people live in the truth. God's people live in the truth. But he doesn't stop there because he recognizes there's a threat to the church who's trying to live this way. Notice this, verse 7. I say this. In other words, I'm reminding you. I'm telling you something that's not new, but I need you to know it now. I say this because many deceivers have gone out into the world and they deny that Jesus Christ came in a real body. This kind of person is a deceiver and an antichrist. I think some of us think about the Antichrist as like, oh, this is the one person who's going to deceive the whole world after Jesus returns and it's the end times. Like, Antichrist is actually never talked about that way in the Bible. Antichrist is anybody who denies Jesus Christ, who, who believes something untrue about Jesus, who rejects his full divinity and full humanity, who believes heresy, so to speak. You could say it that way. They deny that Jesus Christ came in a body. Such a person is a deceiver and an antichrist. Watch out that you don't lose what you've worked so hard to receive. Be diligent that you receive your full reward. Because anyone who wanders away from this teaching has no relationship with God. But anyone who remains in the teaching of Christ has a relationship with both the Father and the Son. In fact, if anyone comes to your meeting and does not teach the truth about Jesus Christ, don't invite that person into your home or give them encouragement. Anyone who encourages such people becomes a partner in their evil work. Don't, don't support what they're doing. Don't, don't give financial support and housing support to somebody who's walking around and deceiving local churches. Chosen lady, don't do this. Don't, don't be this kind of person. This is the second point. Number one, God's people live in the truth. Number two, God's people love the truth. God's people love the truth. And why do I say it this way? Well, let me ask you this. If I were to give you a real $100 bill and a counterfeit $100 bill, how would you tell the difference? You know, when you're training to identify counterfeits at a bank, they don't spend a whole lot of time teaching you what all the different variations of counterfeit bills look like. The main thing that they try to get you to do is to diligently understand all the details of a real bill. Because the better you're able to identify what's real, the whole lot easier it is to identify what is not real, what is counterfeit. Sure, it helps to know what the different variations are. And there are helpful strategies for noticing frauds, but the most effective way to identify a fake is to know the real thing. And you see, these deceivers, they were teaching something that was very close to the truth. That's why it was deceptive. They were teaching something that was very, they sounded kind of right. But they were teaching what we call heresy. Heresy is just false and dangerous doctrines regarding Jesus. They denied that Jesus came in the flesh. In fact, they were teaching, some of them were actually teaching that he only appeared to be in a body. That he was the Christ. He was this divine concept um, who kind of appeared to be in a body. He looked like he was in a body, but he wasn't really human. He wasn't fully human, at least not like the rest of us. And as John puts it, this is antichrist. In other words, this strikes at the heart of of Christianity. 
here's why this is a big deal to John. I need you to get this. If you deny certain truths about Jesus, you lose the gospel. You lose hope. And if you don't get it right when it comes to Jesus, in fact, you miss everything about Christianity. There's no gospel. There's no reconciliation with God. There's no redemption from God. There's no hope if you miss this important thing about Jesus. See, if Jesus, let me start this way. If Jesus was a man and not fully God, as some people would teach, like he, he was maybe an elevated man. He was a really good man. He was a very virtuous man, someone who aspired to be what we want to get to. And he actually achieved it. He was the best man, but it wasn't like fully God. Here's the thing. If he was that, he would not be able to bear the weight of God's wrath on your behalf. He wouldn't be able to sufficiently pay the price for sin and restore you to righteousness and new life. Jesus could not do that. There's, there's no way a mere human could fully satisfy and bear all of God's wrath against humanity. Because you have to get this. By nature, the wrath that God has against sin is infinite. Why? Because the one against whom we've sinned is infinitely holy. It has nothing to do with how much sin I've done. It has everything to do with whom I've offended. And if he's infinite, then the one bearing the wrath has to be infinite. Otherwise, you cannot fully satisfy the wrath of God against sin. I hope you get that. That is why you have freedom in Christ. That is why you have the ability to have a relationship with God. It's because all of the wrath against your sin has been paid for, which is amazing, which is what we celebrate every Sunday. But you got to realize that's what has to happen first. You don't just get to walk into the throne room of God with sin. It had to be paid for, and it was. By someone who could actually satisfy the wrath of God. But more than that, he had to be more than just infinite. He had to be perfect. Because he had to offer a sacrifice to God of such value that he would be pleased to accept it. Only when Jesus is fully God can he bring the sacrifice of infinite internal value to God that would satisfy his wrath against your sin. And so because Jesus is fully God... The wrath against your sin is satisfied, and now you have eternal life in favor with God. So Jesus has to be fully God. But if he's God and not fully man, as these teachers were teaching, you also lose something profound about Christianity. And it's this. He would not be able to be an acceptable substitute for you. Jesus has to be fully human because the, the justice of God requires that the same human nature that offends him has to be the one that pays for him. The penalty of sin requires suffering in body and soul because that's the instrument the sin was committed with. Jesus had to be a man so he could fully identify with you, suffer in your place, and, and sympathize with what you're going through so that he could be your substitute and he could be your advocate before God. Jesus has to be fully God and fully man in order for you to be redeemed and reconciled to God. And to believe otherwise, John says, is antichrist. You see why John is making such a big deal about these deceivers? Those who are truly God's people not only live in obedience to God's commands to love one another, but they love the truth itself. Or should I say they love the truth himself? 
God's people love Jesus intimately and passionately, so much so that when a deception comes around, they're able to identify because they know the truth. They have a personal relationship with him. I have so much more to say to you, but I don't want to do it with paper and ink. I want to visit you soon. I want to talk to you face to face. Then our joy will be complete. Then our joy will be complete when we're face to face. Greetings from the children of your sister, most likely another church chosen by God. See, this letter is very personal. It's very intimate. And I hope you're beginning to get a sense of why John doesn't feel the need to add more teachings, more stories to what Jesus has already said. He's convinced that if God's people intimately and passionately love Jesus and then relentlessly and faithfully love one another, this would be the thing that safeguards them and glorifies God. And can I say this to you this morning, church? This is what will safeguard you, and this is what will glorify God. That the love that you have for truth, the truth himself, will naturally produce a love for other people, and it will safeguard you against deception. You could say it this way. We will be hospitable without being heretical. We'll be, we'll be hospitable we're going to be known for that, and we're not going to be known for the deceptions that we participate in. Now, what I don't mean is that you ever use a concept to stop loving a person. Okay? Humans are not ideas. They're not problems to fix. They're people to love. Amen? And that's why John led with the first part of his letter, which is all about showing hospitality and giving generously. That is not only evident in the church that he was writing to, but it was the dominant theme of Jesus's life. John's going like, we got to get this right. We got to get this right. You can genuinely love and be kind to somebody without assisting to help them spread false teachings about Jesus. You really, really can. But it's a fine line to walk in. That's why John writes this letter. That if you know the truth, Jesus Christ, he's going to produce this overflowing generosity in your life first. But on top of that... Your intimate knowledge of the truth born out of a personal relationship with Jesus, that's going to give you a distaste for the work and the teachings of people who preach misleading things about Jesus. You've got to know the truth intimately and passionately. You've got to know and love the truth. We're going to be hospitable without being heretical. That's, that's how we're going to live. And to make it more specific, John says this to us, church. He says this to the church here um, that he's writing to, but he also... He says this to the church, to us, that we're going to live in the truth and we're going to love in the truth. That's how we will walk this fine line. Church, if you've truly encountered the truth, if you truly know the truth himself, that will be what changes your life and sets you free. That will be what marks your testimony before the world. It's not going to be more stories and more teachings it's not going to be more sermons. It's not going to be going to some new doctrine. It is going to be knowing the truth passionately and intimately and then living in the truth by loving one another. In fact, I believe John is so bold as to say that if you actually, if you're not loving others well, I don't think you know the truth. 
because that's the natural outflow of knowing the truth. And here's where this gets personal. It's one thing to look at the person next to you or look at the person who relates really well in the context that you find yourself in. One thing to look at somebody maybe in your family or in your friend group and go, yeah, I'd do anything for you. I'd give you what you need. What's mine is yours. But then somebody else who doesn't exactly fit in your categories comes along and you go, oh, do I need to love them? Now, let me make John's distinction clear. Loving one another does not mean I help spread someone else's error. Okay? Specifically in 2 John, he's talking about like funding a mission, giving um, housing and food to a mission that is not walking in the truth of Jesus by fully believing in him and walking in obedience to his commands to love one another. Like, don't support the destruction of deceptive teachers. That's, that's what he's saying to this church. But love does mean that I remain in the truth. That I walk according to the truth. And what does that mean? That I fully believe in Jesus. I know him intimately and passionately. And then I walk in his obedience to his commands to love one another. If I'm living in the truth, that's what I'm going to do. So for those of us who are remaining in the truth, love for one another does not stop at a border. It doesn't stop at a boundary. It doesn't stop at the extent of a community. Love for one another does not stop at someone's choice or love lifestyle. Loving one another does not stop when I find out what someone's life has been up until this point. Loving one another does not stop at what they're doing presently or what they've done in the past. It doesn't stop at the amount of sin, the amount of wrong someone has done up until this point. Loving one another does not stop on your terms or within your understanding. I don't get to be the one who decides, do I love this person or do I love this person? In fact, if you want to ask that question, when do I stop loving one another? I'm not God. I'm not your Holy Spirit. So I'm not going to tell you that. But what I have found in the Bible are two really good examples. Number one is Jesus on the cross. He's, he's looking down at guards who are gambling for his clothes, just making light of the fact they're about to murder God, the height of evil. And he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Following that example later on, one of the first martyrs of the Christian faith, Stephen, he was stoned for his faith. And as the last rocks are knocking him unconscious, he begs God to forgive them in a final act of love on his last breath. So I think we can maybe stop loving others when we're dead and we ask God for ourselves, who do I love and who do I not love? That doesn't mean I believe what everybody believes. But the love that you show to people is a choice. It's not a feeling. It's an action. And when you read the accounts of Jesus, there wasn't a boundary or a lifestyle or an ethnicity. He was not willing to cross to show love. The very last night of his life, right before he knows he's about to be brutally murdered, but even worse than that, bear the full weight of God's wrath against your sin. John hears Jesus say, I'm going to show you how to serve others. This is my new commandment. They're going to know you're followers of me by how you love one another. 
Not where you go to church on the weekend. Not what particular flavor of Christianity you, you, you want to make the most famous. Not what preacher you say, oh, I, I follow this person or I follow that person. But by how you actually live in the truth to love one another. And what does that look like? What, what does it actually look like to love one another? Well, Jesus showed it that night. Because there are going to be people in your life and in my life that do not deserve love. And this is how you're going to know that you're a changed person. This is how you're going to know that you are truly redeemed. Is that you put God's love into action towards that person. Who really rubs you the wrong way. Who does not deserve your kindness. Who has spurned your efforts to bless them. And yet you love them anyway. God, I want you to just stop at agreeing with certain historical facts about Jesus. That's not faith. That's the beginning point. You need to do that. But if you stop there, probably the demons have better faith than you. They were there. They know that better than you do. No, 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 Brant. You, you need to surrender to me and you need to walk with me and you need to let me live inside of you to love the person that you really don't want to love. I'll say it this way. If you have people in your life that you refuse to love, please don't ask the Holy Spirit to work inside of you because that's kind of his goal. You're saying, God, please come do stuff for me, but don't let me do stuff for other people. Like He's like, that's not, that's not why I sent you the Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit lives inside of each one of us. And one of the main reasons is to empower you to do something you're not actually capable of doing on your own, which is to love other people well. He's 60 years old. He's the last of the disciples, and he says, I can't write you anything new. I have a lot more to say to you, but I'm not going to write about it. Just love Jesus by walking in the truth and love one another. That's, that's what we have to be about. We're going to be hospitable without being heretical. We're going to walk that fine line. We're going to keep it simple. We're going to live in the truth. And we're going to love the truth. That's what we'll be about. Let's pray. Jesus, I, I pray that we would be the people who seek continually to walk with you. Not simply by believing in you, but by walking in obedience. God, would you let your love and your grace and your forgiveness just so pour into our lives that we can't help but let it rush out into other people. We, we need to be reminded that we did not deserve this. We need to be overwhelmed with your love because we didn't choose you. You chose us. And so, Lord, would we be empowered to give that love to those that unfortunately we have seen as undeserving until this point. Would you change our hearts with your love so that we can change this world with your love? Amen.